0: You know, bussing is one of those trigger words. Years ago, Clyde Miller was a marvelous study of propaganda analysis, student of it in the 30s. And he said there are certain trigger words, and reason ends when those words come into play. Oh. Wall Street, Jew, at that time, such words, you know. Today the word bussing, bussing. And once that word is used, reason flies through the window very often. And Tom Cottle, who's a, an excellent psychotherapist and a number of books involving interviews with uh, uh, blue-collar people, poor people, white and black, uh, is working now in, in London, aren't you Tom? Yes. And his new book deals with the Boston, it's called Bussing, and a number of families and people he's seen, students, kids and parents, others, their thoughts about it, mostly Tom Cottle's feelings about it. The issue itself is it how deep is how deep is it in our lives and is it ersatz, and can it, can we discuss busing without discussing other aspects of our society? So in a moment the program with Tom Cottle, a book uh, published by Beacon, it's a slim one but a very potent one called Busing. In a moment, reflections of Tom Cottle and that trigger word after this message. I'm thinking about. Uh, you're living in Boston for a while. You did when you were yes. at MIT. No, I live in Boston for al- almost ten years. And of course, we think immediately of the headlines through the recent months, a couple of years, South Boston. Yes. And that. What did you try to do to in get through it?
1: Well, I suppose uh, that uh, I'm very deeply upset by the fact that uh, newspapers and a lot of writers just label people. Uh, they call them racists. Uh, they call them pro-bussing people or anti-bussing people and uh, in that way they dismiss them. They also dismiss people in another way, which your work obviously shows so marvelously, is they use people as attitude providers. Just tell me who you're voting for, um, and then I'll see you. Or give me an interesting life story, and then I get my chapter out of you, and then you can go to hell, and I don't really care. So I uh, decided that uh, uh, since busing was arousing so much attention and so much fury, people were so intense about it. It's, you know, it's in the clinical sense. People have problems, but th- what gets people is this intensity of a problem. I decided I'm going to ride the buses with the kids and decide what's going on. Bob Coles had done this in the South. He did it in the North. And I started riding buses with the kids. And the kids were marvelous, or the kids were horrible, or whatever they were. And these were kids white and black. These were kids white and black. Um, there's a concept, I think, of busing that, it's only, that you only bus black kids or that you only bus white kids. There's also another conception, as we know, that only, only, you only bus for school desegregation when in fact, how many of us went to school on a bus? Everybody went to school on a bus. The rural southern people have been going to school 50, 60 miles on a bus. So everybody said, bussing, what's the big deal? I was bussed. Um, best part of my day was the school bus. The only thing I ever learned I learned on a school bus. Um, anyway, so I started to talk with the kids. I met their parents. I met their teachers. I met the administrators of the school. I met the school bus drivers. I met the janitors of the school. I met the police who met these kids as the, as the riot started flare. And I talked to kids and their families in maybe, I don't know, maybe eight or nine cities. And what I wanted to
0: do. You did in eight or nine cities. Yes. Say. Most N- of this
1: stuff is written about Boston, but I also have been examining the issue in uh, about, about nine cities. You hit now. Louisville, too? Yes. I uh-huh. went to Louisville. I went into Michigan, Detroit. I w- came to Chicago. Uh, I was in Denver for a while. So by I went to
0: Kalamazoo. Uh, you know, I'm, yes. I'm interrupting, Kalamazoo has bussing, I understand that's working. Very yes, well.
1: I think they have in Riverdale, in uh, Riverside, California, mm-hmm. too. I remember Tom Wicker wrote an article about that. You take it, here's a city that's notorious for its right-wing uh, quality, and lo and behold, there you have desegregation. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and, and in the cradle of liberty, Uh, as they call it. In Boston you had such terrific flows. In a sense what you've done and we'll hear about your adventures and your findings and the people you met is you're breaking, this is the thing you and I both of course are taken with, possessed by this, breaking of stereotype this uh, doing away with labels, which yeah. I think is going to, we'll, we'll drown in labels, and we'll be slaughtered by labels, yeah. smothered by labels. That's right. No, I that's
1: agree. And uh, those of us in our profession, the social sciences uh, and psychiatry, we are such perpetrators of labels. We actually refer to children as paranoids and schizophrenics, uh, yeah. and here's this little child before you. Uh,
0: before, before you even, you know, in your introduction you touch on this very thing that's driving me crazy, this, this shallow, lazy reportage that you're talking about. And that's it. There's just, The attitudes are almost given to us by the guys on TV or the guys who are seemingly reporters, Mm -hmm. and they don't even know the people they're talking to or about. uh, Not only that, but
1: you have, uh, as you know, with this whole movement of psychohistory, so much of it is good and so much of it is that you're actually psychoanalyzing, psychoanalyzing a human being that you never Uh, met, and he may be alive. I mean, they're psychoanalyzing now Jimmy Carter or Kissinger. Uh, I, I, it, you 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 delve into people's lives for the grand total of eleven minutes, yeah. and then proceed to, to tell us about yeah. those people. I think I think what's really behind it is a fundamental disinterest in those people. An editor once asked me the question, "What do you find so interesting about ordinary people?" And I had the I had the wherewithal to say, "I, fi- I, I find myself." Uh, I, I wish I'd had the wherewithal to say other things, but that's you know. It's like
0: someone once remarked, "There is no money in
1: poverty." There's no
0: sense. <laughs> I tell m- you a funny story for. Here we are vamping till ready, but we're not. Tom Cottle has much to say, but this is related to it. Uh, when Working came out, there were various reviews. One by a New York Times Daily reviewer who said, well, it's good, the guy writes okay, he was paying me tribute. Right? He says, Why is he wasting his time with these people? He said, what's okay? And then he, used some, he scored some of these... Comments they make are awfully good, but why are you wasting time with these people? He could do a book about Rockefeller, how he founded the place, and that's a—he could almost make it an architectural uh, design out of it, of the work he did. And so here again we come to You're
1: wasting your time with Eric Nestorenko.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or, with, uh, or with a number of those quite remarkable oh non-cele- non-celebrities. Well, I, th- I think that's the issue. I mean, the issue
1: is, talk show or not, the yeah. issue is that everybody is an expert on the leading of their own lives. Yeah and too many of us in our so-called professional fields pu- push ourselves yeah. off as being experts,
0: and you lose these people. In, in busing, your book, you throughout there's the theme that busing itself cannot be dissociated, the problem of busing, or the challenge of busing, from other as- jobs, housing, as though we're putting the burden on schools. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I think one of the things I'm trying to say in busing is that, uh, without, without trying to say it, is the issue of busing, exactly as you say, it's a word that scintillates. And when a word scintillates, you know that on the one hand, there's enormous, big, large societal issues like busing, like housing, like education, like people's political and economic positions, like their religion, like their background, like their ethnicity. On the other hand, there's something deeply psychological, psychological in the sense that way in their personal lives, a relationship with a mother, a father, a wife, a child, with a child, of course, uh-huh. it's, it's very prominent because you're, you're busing school children, something very deep. It has to be this way, otherwise you would never be able to say busing and see people no. tense or no. people, their, their faces change. So there are, it is a question of housing, it is a question of racism, it is a question of people being down and out for so long. And this issue which all these people talk about is, I cannot stand this life where people who don't have to abide by the laws shove those laws down my throat. I won't take it from you academics. I won't take it from you in the suburbs. I won't take it from the Washington people. I won't take it from the President of the United States. I have to maintain a certain sense of freedom. I will not have my children, uh, when my children move, I dictate my children. That's the last fascism I'm going to hold on to. Yeah. I will tell my children where to yeah. go to school. of
0: course, dramatically, these are the people of South Boston. You're talking South about Boston, poor yeah. South Boston as against the others living elsewhere. Let's right. come to one woman particularly. Let's come to her now in your book, Marjorie Milliken. Yeah. Here's Marjorie, who's an anti-busing activist. Mm-hmm. And it's quite a, you got to know her. Yes, over about three and a half years yeah.
1: I've known. Well, I knew her when a time I wrote. I should now, say that I want to just say, too, that these are people that I have known for quite a long time. They're not you know, people
0: that I met you know, for a week and wrote. Now, Marjorie Milliken, uh, in her, there's a tremendous anger. Now I'm about about life, about something that's happened to her. She doesn't want to be used.
1: That's right. This is a woman, I suppose, uh, now in her early 40s, who's had a very, very trying and had one major hurt in her life, um... The hurt manifestly is her father disowned her, a man who was very proud, uh, a man who seemed kind of arrogant as she describes him, and she's harboring that hurt. And yet one thing that she says, which is uh, I mean, the, con- the conflict about it is, she says, the one thing I can admire about my father is, he stuck to his principles. He said anybody that violated his principles was going to be out of his house. And if you don't keep your word and the law and your principles with your own family, then who
0: will you? So this is a woman that uh, I see as being but furious says, with the ways of life. But she says her father was violently racist. I couldn't stay. Th- he went crazy when he ever talked about blacks. It seems, when talking to her, that uh, her mother tried very hard
1: to soften her father's attitudes about blacks. Uh, that was one. That was a, that was a, a real irrationality. He, like this other man, uh, uh, this Harry Bingham, the whole world, the difficulties of the whole world. That notion can be traced to the Jews and to the Blacks. Yeah. If you watch the Jews, yeah. you'll see the trouble forming. If you watch the Blacks, yeah. the interesting thing. I mean, I felt, uh, uh, well, maybe the Jews are not going to take it too bad in the teeth because he says almost in a positive way this this Bingham fellow. Bingham, um, wa- the other guy? The, the right? other guy. He's yeah. now Bingham, who lives in a suburb. I yes. Think, yeah. if you, he said, he, he li- used to listen to his father say, If you watch the Jews, yeah. they'll tell you where all the trouble is. When the Jews start moving out of these yeah. communities, yes. we know we're in for lots you of trouble. Too.
0: There's a little touch there of shrewdness, you see. Yeah, well, a little like yeah. cleverness. watch them, you see. But yeah. we come to, let's stick with Marjorie Milliken. Quoting her. this is Tom Cottle, who, who's gotten to know her. I've got a hold of an anger. Wow! This is Martin Thomas herself. I never knew this old lady ever had this kind of anger. What a great feeling to be able to take it out on all these ridiculous decisions and fight them. We've got a lot of people joining us who live with this anger all their lives. They knew they had it, they just didn't know what to do with it. The only good thing about the busing movement, I to find that anger. Brother, am I angry every minute of the day? This, to me, is a fantastically revelatory uh, um, comment of Mrs. Milliken. And her life. Has been goofed up, and by God, here's something she can shoot at, and it's black, by God. And her kids on that bus, yeah. and it's though. It's that moment, you know, letting it out. So many other things have created the anger that are not. Yeah. When busing is, it comes up journalists never discussed other things that led to this feeling.
1: Well, I think, I think you've captured that that's the line and that's, the, that's what the psychiatrist, the psychoanalyst, called overdetermined behavior. It seems that there must be a billion other things feeding in to yeah. the intensity of these feelings. And, uh, but I think the great thing about that quote, as you just said, is that she knows it. Mm. This conception that the so-called ordinary man or ordinary woman, the person on the street, what demeaning terms they are yeah. too, Um, the everyday guy and Joe, the ordinary man, um, that they really don't have any psychological sophistication. If it weren't for people like me, they'd never understand what their lives are about. And here are these people again and again looking at themselves, leading their lives and with one eye watching themselves,
0: and they know what's going on, and there she says it all. She She, knows it. But also, she knows she's being had. Now, here we come to the most astonishing part of her. We we spoke about it before the program went on the air. Her knowledge, how she's had in other ways, and in her own way, justifies comparing this to busing. And it's breakfast TV commercials, really. Yes. Is. You want to know what busing is? It's breakfast cereal. Quoting your friend, why don't you read it? You
1: wrote the book. Uh, she says, "You want to know what busing is? It's breakfast cereal. Breakfast cereal, the junk you eat every rotten morning of your life. No, make it the junk we serve our children every morning of our lives, even though we know it's terrible for them." There's not a damn thing in breakfast cereal that's any good for anybody. You ever read the side of the boxes, all of them? Every one of them are the biggest food crime going. You know why they're halfway good for the kids? Because you can't eat that stuff without milk. It's the milk that makes it halfway decent. The rest is a load of nothing. You ask anybody, they'll tell you it's the biggest deal going. I'm just talk- not talking food value. There's none in cereal, and that's busing too, brother boy. That's what your little bussing business is all about. Bussing the cereal. There's nothing in it of any value, and the milk is
0: our white kids. Well, this is incredible. You see, she, she, uh, she sees she's being had by these TV commercials and the yeah. ads and the promotion of these cereals that have nothing in them we know mm, now. Right. We're not talking about organic food. We're talking about the generally right. advertised cereals that has uh, just puff, you know. Yeah. And she thinks of... She's had there. She's had all her life. And now one more thing by these strange people brought in. Also, isn't this true, Well, Tom, you, you've known these people. When somebody's pushed around a lot, to survive the day, there's got to be somebody, the pecking order of others, somebody below them t- for them to survive the day. Right.
1: And the tradition, I mean, uh, the old, uh, you know, Bettelheim and Janowitz studies show where the pecking order is, you just peck away at the person immediately behind you. And that's, a, uh, that's an issue so much in desegregation now that it's very easy for the intellectuals in their big homes, whatever, to, to talk about the way the, the poor whites and the poor blacks should get along. But it's that person immediately in the ladder rung uh, just below you. But there I think she's saying something else too. She's not only aware of what the TV commercials are saying, and, and there's nothing on the box top, but she's also reacting, you see, to all the studies done on busing, the so called scientific studies. There's nothing in the cereal that's any good, and your studies, guys like you do those studies, they've proved nothing to me whether busing is good. I think it's all puff, too. That's what she's mm. saying. And now that's an indictment not only of the TV commercials and the cereal industry, it's an indictment of the way a lot of social scientists have gone sure. about assessing mm-hmm. busing, and the way, the way not to assess it is mm-hmm. the way we've been doing with a bunch of attitudes. And if you bust, you go up six points in that and you're down 12. Mm-hmm. And she's
0: reacting to that too. No one can convince. Of course, one of the good. big questions comes up is they want to go into our schools and, and uh, the, the, the standards go down. The big question is, are these schools? any good. That's the question. Yeah. I mean, in the realm of education, if you want to indict
1: teachers and administrators, which you can have a good time doing, you'll get absolutely nowhere and, and it would be a, it's a ridiculous thing, but it's done that you constantly indict them. But the big question is the quality of life in these various communities in the United States and the quality of life, which means housing and jobs if they exist, and how can a person lead a... A life in the family that's calm and that's safe, that's protected. The housing, the food, the prices, the economics of it all, and obviously the schools. Um, these are untenantable, unlivable, inhuman conditions. As far as the schools are concerned, one could almost say, w- 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 one cannot say that they're busing because those schools are that much better. You're busing for moral reasons, if you believe in that, or you don't bus for moral reasons, if you believe the other way. But the quality of these schools in the Boston area or in, in city areas, so many cities You're talking about are the white schools. I'm talking about all the yeah, schools. Yeah, of course.
0: These Uh, schools are simply uh, wretched. They're wretched. you think Chicago's any better? Uh, No. (laughs) Come back to that. having been born here, I'm trying to be very loyal to Chicago. No, come back to the question of quality. No, I mean, the
1: the quality of schools, the Uh, quality of life. And the fundamental issue there is we don't give a damn for children. Uh, We really talk so much about it. They're our great resource. They're our future. We're not interested in children. Uh,
0: So here again, we come to Marjorie Mulligan. And the anger, all the frustrations and the being taken and had, and taken for granted, cascades upon her, and so there's got to be some explosion. And there, and demagogues come along, and there comes... It's a natural for this to be the explosion area. Plus the fact that there are those cool people living elsewhere who look upon it academically and right. quote-unquote morally, ethically. Yes, and moralize and dictate the way life should be led by other people. Yeah. You mentioned Bob Coles, whom I admire very much, Robert Coles, and I guess he was he was involved here too, wasn't he, in his, yes. his, his uh, observations in yes. Boston. So. Right,
1: he took a lot of uh, a lot of flack when he expressed publicly sympathy for these white working-class families saying, in essence, just because someone's against busing, you can't uh, you can't automatically call them a racist. Um, I'm sympathetic to that point of view. You just can't go around labeling people oh. who oppose something. On the other hand, a lot of the opposition, I think, is a deep-seated yeah. opposition to the existence of black people. Yeah. But a, he took a position and really got in the chin so for that. Let's
0: wonder about, you've got to no know Marjorie Milliken, Annie London, a black teacher. Yeah. we come to her, Yeah. her her thoughts on, on the subject.
1: Well, I think her, her thoughts revealed to me a very poignant... Uh, poetic childhood. She was put on a bus. I mean, her, her, the origin of her feelings about buses when she was about six or seven years old and her mother, this is, is, yeah, in, in, she grew up in Arkansas and her mother took her to Louisiana and felt that if, if she and her older brother were to have any chance in life, she would have to send them to the North. So she sent them to a woman who was called an aunt, but in fact was just a friend. Um, And so her first recollection of busing is being bused all the way across the country to a school, and then she goes on to talk about uh, issues like uh, a, a white bus driver that wouldn't pick them up in this area of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and they had to switch the bus drivers. And they just this, she she almost laughably talks about what was this guy so afraid of all these seven and eight-year-old kids? What possibly would they do? And then it ends up with her seeing these children that she teaches, black and white alike. Um, coming into her school, and she makes this marvelous, marvelous association that when she sees the cut in the backs of the seats and in the, in the, in the, leather, the leatherette that's always cut invariably in these school buses, she thinks back to this stepfather of hers and the rip in his chair and how when, he, when no one was around, he used to scream and rant against the injustices of his world. It's
0: funny. You got her father, the black man, and the injustice of his world, and you yeah. got Marjorie Milliken and there's an anger in both cases here and both are pitted one against the other. Yeah. I and I then, f- and throw in that no. other case of, no. the ma- of the young, of the man who's
1: now an administrator who's against busing and he associates to seeing his father being brought up dead from a mine in Pennsylvania. The association. And, yeah, yeah and, and, and again and again you have this feeling of having my life being led for me by people who claim they know better. Now sometimes it's my mother who did her very best and sometimes it's some congressman who didn't do his very best. Mm-hmm. That's again right. and again, yeah, that yeah, theme of yeah. lo- destiny is out of my hands. Yeah. Why can't I not even control my own destiny? That's Ray Herman, the physical yes. education
0: guy, yeah. uh, the administrator. Yeah. And his, the associations, of course, are quite astonishing. And uh, he associates minors being exploited and used and uh, getting injured and dying and black yeah. lung being put upon As indeed, people in the busing controversy being put upon. Right. Uh, Marjorie Milliken, the anti-busing activist, associated with using breakfast cereals, as a fraudulent way toward them, as well as busing. And you got Annie London, the black teacher, remembering her father's anger, also at something that is keeping him down. Right. All three call upon associations, and all three are in this pot, as. The reporters, the journalists, those whom we hear about and you and I don't think too much of, see them as statistics.
1: Yeah, they're statistics. I remember the introduction to working where you write about that. They're statistics or they're data to be analyzed by people who in fact know better. And nobody knows better than these people about their lives and the source of their attitudes.
0: There's one tremendous uh, poignant moment that Annie London, the black teacher, has about. he's thinking about this this bus driver who was scared of his little kids' fear. Now we come to fear. Yeah. We know there is fear today that is justified in the streets of cities. At the same time, there is the unreasoning fear that was the basis way, way back, the unreasoning fear. And this is the bus driver afraid of these little black kids, eight, nine years old. Mm-hmm. His, and she, why don't you read her Go thoughts? Go ahead, you read us, Ted what did that man who wouldn't pick us up on cloverland street think about this is a memory of harrisburg right and this white buster hated these kids and would drive away where did he learn what he learned i wonder did he die yet this is years ago and if he did did he die thinking the same things he thought all his life i'd love to find that man go up to him and say look can you look at me mr man you see i'm a woman with pride with a real job helping people not just my own kind can you see me without running away to that police station you were so glad to get to every afternoon? Don't you see how you helped? Don't you see you did a good thing for us, no matter how badly you did your job? You must have done as much for me and Justy, Justy it's was your older, older brother, as the doctor does delivering a child. And all you were was a bus driver, nothing more complicated than that. Just a bus driver, just like I'm a teacher. You know why you did what you did? Because the law and the money system and the government, the whole country told you that's what you've got to do for five mornings a week. And lo and behold, if you in your frightened way didn't do it, and that's a very moving memory. Mm-hmm. She has this compassion for this guy.
1: She has a compassion. Uh, um, she also has her anger, which she, which she softens. But there's also, you know, the confusion. Why is it this way? I don't understand it. And partly what she's saying is, th- wasn't it enough that all these generations have gone through it? Do we have to go through the same damn thing all over again? Uh, yeah. why, why, why hadn't we learned better? Why can't we just let there be a little calm, at least yeah. in this one matter?
0: Yeah. I'm wondering, before we take a break, this is a question comes up. We have the Fair Employment Practices Act. It is enforced, it is not enforced, nonetheless. So. Yeah. When it first was put forth, the New Deal, they said you cannot legislate the morality of people. Well, the fact is it was enforced, for better or worse. Mm. Now, would busing have been a non-issue, not been at all, <laughs> had there been actually observance of the law from the top down, I refer to Nixon, pre-Nixon too. For that matter, Had Eisenhower, Nick von Hoffmann, asked this question and others do, uh, Gary Wilson, had Eisenhower led that kitten into like a little rock school by the hand, would not the whole tenor of things altered? We assume, of course, jobs and housing yeah. <laughs> would also I be... Think,
1: I uh, think it would have made a great deal of difference. I think, I think for example, for the people in South Boston and Hyde Park, those areas, they know darn well that there are people in high places that agree with them. They, went, they appealed to Ford, and Ford let them know that he really is sympathetic to them. Um, they appeal to Ted Kennedy, and Ted Kennedy let him know that he is absolutely yeah. not sympathetic to them. But they know that um, they have a lot of uh, yeah. parts of the culture which support them, yeah. and the parts of yes. the culture are very yes. powerful, and they're saying, if there's any way we could support you, we would, because we wouldn't do it ourselves. And in fact, they lead their lives, these rich people in the country, not agreeing with that law and making sure they send their kids to private schools, yeah. which are fundamentally yes. segregated. Yes. Again,
0: we come to the that deep, deep anger that has been so uncoate that is now being articulated in strange and sometimes destructive ways. Yeah. We really come to more of the people and also uh, Tom Cottle's own reflections, too, throughout. We come to uh, the black janitor whom you got to know and this guy, Harry Bingham, and the most dramatic of all, in a way, this couple that had a fight and a divorce, this white couple, because of the wife and husband and the battle, he anti, she pro. Come to this in a moment the book is bussing it's a slim book but it's a very revealing one and a moving one too by tom Cottle, thomas j Cottle. beacon the publishers will resume the conversation in a moment after this message so tom and you say you you came how did you choose the people you came to live to know these people for several years? Now
1: that's a hard question. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you meet a lot of people. I now have about 350 families who I'm seeing on a fairly regular basis in Boston. And um, in this particular book, I'm obviously having to pick people, wanting to pick people who, in a sense, represent different parts of the spectrum. Um I guess it comes down to a very subjective choice that you hit it off with this family. You feel they've trust you enough to speak with them, and that they allow you to know a little bit about their lives. And, and in each of these, uh, in each of these books that uh, that I do, I'm sure you do, it, you, you could almost include anybody. But some of these lives just move you a bit more. Um, they 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 teach you a little bit more. They enlighten you a little bit more, and it's uh, it's almost like picking the woman you're going to yeah. marry. There's some chemistry, and you feel well. Uh, I want to stay with you a bit more.
0: And they also know, in your case, that uh, or they came to know, yeah. that you were not using them as a statistic. You know that you were interested in what they is.
1: I try to communicate that to them. Flesh and, and blood people. And, yes, and I also let them know exactly what I've uh, written, and uh, I show it to them, uh, and they can delete things if they. So there's it. the
0: janitor. There's the elderly black janitor of a mm-hmm. school, uh, Henry Mason, Willie Christmas. He's right.
1: Uh, he's a very touching man. I mean, he he starts off of, uh, that uh, the whole piece with him starts off with here's a human being who, by one quirk of fate or another, lives with a name that in fact is not his name. Uh, that poignant story, here's a man named Henry, well, I've called him Henry George Macon, I've changed his name, but a nice, reputable name like that, and he's shining shoes in Grand Central Station, and a and a white man uh, refers to him as Willie, and uh, the, a fellow having his shoes shine, next to him says, how do you know his name is Willie? He says, well, they're all named Willie, isn't that true, Willie? And by God... part Partis years ago were we'll called George. George, yeah, yeah. well, and, and so here he is, and... Uh, here is another man who had a long and deep experience with his parents. He left school. His mother chastised him for leaving schools. He was afraid to go to school. He didn't like school and made a promise to himself he'd someday be working a school. No and, and behold, if he has been working this one school almost 35 years as a janitor, and he says he's seen while he's not being seen at the
0: same time. And something There's also a humor here that has a whimsy here. He always knew someday he'd work in a school. Yeah. When, well, I have a friend. Had a friend, Big Bill Brunsey, the blues oh, singer. Oh, sure. And Big Bill said, <laughs> "When that you're white, it's all right." When you're no, black, but also about black, school. Right? You see, he, where he when he worked for this guy in, Ar, in, in Arkansas, outside Little Rock, and before that in Scott, Mississippi, this one guy sent his children, boys and girls, to college. And some days is he's got to go to college. And he did. He became the janitor at Iowa State <laughs> University. He did. He was the only, Big Bill was the only janitor who was every Friday night was invited to the house of the president of the college <laughs> to <laughs> meet various guys. Because Bill was known, particularly foreign visitors, heard of Big Bill Brunsey, mm-hmm. And he was the janitor <laughs> on the campus. He's a finally made, made it college. To college. I went to college. Mm-hmm. And so your friend uh, Henry Macon. He's never uh, been invited you know, into anybody's. No. Known. But he says his job he's known as a fixture.
1: Yeah.
0: But his it's thoughts his thoughts about busing.
1: He says he says I that. He says, I always thought a fixture was
0: a chandelier. Yeah. But he has thoughts about busing uh-huh, in his he way. He sure does. What's he say, this busing's a winner and a loser. The black man, see, he gotta say thing he's gotta say he stands for busing. If you say I don't want busing, he got every white man in the country and a whole lot of them from outside the country coming to his home to shake his hand. That's what they would call an honest nigger. He knows the truth, they say, because he knows his place. So the black man, he got to say, is for busing, bringing all the buses they can. Now, he knows, too, they're going to get a lot of good things coming from busing. That's got to happen. Right off, his children are going to be in a better school building. This may or may not be the case. Yeah. Uh, probably be reading better books, having better teachers. He's going to learn from these white kids. And so there's a party ads adds here, and this part I'd like your thoughts about Tom, Tom Cuddle. What he don't know, is learning another lesson with busing, which is every time he needs or wants the best thing, he's got to go where the white folks live. Now, that means white folks not only has it better than black folks, it means white folks is better than black folks. Yeah. Well, I think this is a most profound
1: sentiment. And I think it's uh, the profound areas uh, is first that there's a conception that he wants to make sure that I know namely that all black people do not agree on the busing issue. The conception is if you're white, you're against it. If you're black, you're for it. And there are obviously great variances of thought among black communities and among white communities, and as we'll talk about later, within a, family, within a single family itself. Yeah. So he's saying that. I think he, uh, Annie London says that same thing, that there's this great lesson in the, in the, uh, to be learned in the, in the actual busing operation. And I think what this man, Henry George Macon, or Willie Christmas, is telling me there is that... Um, the busing is the manifest issue, and beneath it, behind it, are all these other lessons that these children are learning. And one of the things they're learning is, even if they are being bused and as, we, as he says, into these white areas, they're learning that they are inferior people, and it's not until the schools are really great, all over, and society's really equitable will people have to yeah. will, will people be able to give
0: up this notion that you're better than I am, yeah. you have the resources? Because also deprived here are these poor. Uh, white kids—that—that that is his lower, cl- uh, lower income, cl- not lower class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like lower income, uh, working class, white kids who are deprived and think, hey life is rotten, but I'm better than this black kid down mm-hmm. below. And that's right. Well, and
1: you know, you have in. a lot of white uh, white children now that are, I mean, the, the ironies of this are endless, who are saying, I'm not as good as those black children because those black children were chosen from this school to be bust, which means they're better. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, they're yeah. saying, I'm opposed yeah. to it, yeah. I don't want them. Yeah. But on the other hand, why were those black kids chosen? The, yeah. Somebody must see that they have some
0: yeah. academic potential yeah. which they feel I don't yeah. have. We'll come to a couple of the... Uh, kids at the end, a white kid named Cassie McDonough and a, yeah. a black kid named Claude L. Uh, Dearborn yeah. would we'll come to them later. But there's something else here. Uh, that's just kind of busing. Would busing have been needed altogether, you know, had housing and jobs been on a, on a, a basis? Uh, fitting a democratic. If, society, if we uh, had a democratic society, yeah, truly,
1: uh, there would be nobody going hungry. We could do away with all the food stamps. Yeah, that's true. Too. But uh, sure, if it was an equitable society, we we could just just use school buses for what they're for for transportation. again,
0: cars. I guess one of the keys to the. To the explosiveness of this thing and the ersatz, quali- the crazy, surreal quality is that people speak of busing without reference to jobs and housing. Yeah, and That's the
1: aspect of it. Jobs and housing and, and other, all yeah. kinds of differentiations. Yeah. In
0: but sure. uh, Willie Christmas, or yeah. uh, Macon, the, Henry Macon, the, the black janitor of the school, says, everybody Everybody's got to learn to read and write and do mathematics. But you've got to learn to live with people different from them. You may not like it, but that's the way it is. Same is true with desegregating all these schools. Going a little hard, it's going to be a little hard at first. You just can't put two animals, lonely, frightened, been raised not to like it, a little room and not expect some smoke. But he says, white folks don't like this busing. Fine, then we'll make a real deal. Since you guys got all the power, well, of course, <laughs> <laughs> Marjorie Milliken doesn't have any power at all. But he, I guess he means the people sure. on top since you guys got all the power we guys got none of it if you you stop the buses from rolling fix our schools up so they end up as good as your schools well of course the obvious answer is fix both schools up yeah and once these buses stop rolling they're going to forget black schools black housing black folks. they forgot about us the last 300 years this of course had been the case you know for years and years and years and now yeah. i guess well you, i'm telling you Well, no, <laughs> mm. i second that
1: it's. Uh, I mean, you know, when you when you hear a man like this speak, uh, it's uh, it's a very upsetting thing because he, he brings so much wisdom. He brings so much knowledge. And then there are those people that would say, well, he, he's not formally educated and he doesn't really know and it's just a subjective perception. And yet uh, it seems to me that he talks about the real economic and political nature oh, of the yes. whole thing. It's I don't know uh, when he know, He says, you bring them into school, you have a better deal for them. I think to a great extent he probably is right because the monies go into these desegregated schools in a way that they're not. But uh, I mean, these issues become so complicated. No one can get a sense of them anymore. So you
0: ran into a man named Harry Bingham. Oh, boy, did I. And Who's Harry Bingham?
1: Harry Bingham is a fellow that grew up in the, practically the, the literal geographical center of Boston, watched his father absolutely die practically from uh, his anger at the changing of the communities. They lived in a nice white community. Lo and behold, after 20 years, black people were moving in. Harry Bingham's father said, watch the Jews. When they start moving yeah. out, you'll know that the community's going to hell. They moved to the suburbs. The father never saw the suburban life that this Harry Bingham wanted. And now he sits in the suburbs uh, lamenting the fact that cities are going to hell and glad that he's out of it. And at the end he talks about, uh, he's an insurance salesman now, he talks about uh, one of his clients, a Polish family in another area of Boston, where the man tells him, uh, can you believe that black people would really want on-the-job training? Where Where did we get that? Where did we get that? And I guess he sort of has this feeling of getting something for nothing. No one is entitled to getting something for nothing. That's a theme that comes up, this yeah. anger at blacks for a million reasons, but then they throw this business, well, we were slaves, and then these poor whites say, well, we weren't the slave owners. Don't talk to us. Yeah. Talk yeah. to yeah. Thomas Jefferson. He owns yeah. slaves, not to me.
0: And then he got his, and then comes this self-pity. Then comes this long, and to some extent justified, but in this case dramatized. Their life hasn't been easy. Uh, this is Harry Bingham, what the hell do you think my life's been for Christ's sake? You think we're rich or something? You think all these years I've worked and all the little stitch work, you do added up to anything? What the hell do you call this apartment? A castle? We're talking about his father here. Yeah. Isn't he? Yeah. And this neighbor's going to them, to them. And then he's listening to his father And he's uh, repeating arguing a lot of his, his mother's. Yeah. So of course we come to the question of the effect, don't we, in um, almost all this the incredible effect of the father and mother a father in many cases, Mm -hmm. on them. But Bingham has now made it, sort of, hasn't he? Oh, yes, he has. I mean, I think Bingham, uh, and I can say this
1: uh, looking out for the labels myself, Bingham says to me a lot, uh, I'm what you'd call a bigot. I don't mind telling you that. I don't mind telling you that's what I am. I cannot stand the fact that uh, certain groups of people can get away with murder like this. He considers what blacks are uh, doing is getting away with murder because, in fact, the government is coming to their aid in a way that nobody came to the aid of his family. And when his father had to struggle, his father ultimately died. And he is he is uh, f- he's furious with it. And he feels, nobody's looking out for me. What about me? If this government's going to look out for anybody, they should look out for all of us equally. And I will not say that any group needs uh, needs the government more than any other. He's a
0: furious guy. Mm. He's a furious guy. And it's interesting, how he says, what the hell you got living in this country? Irish, Poles, Jews, Italians, Germans, <laughs> Portuguese. Huh? Have a lot of more. You don't see them all complaining. They stick together in their neighbors, marry their own, go to their church. Here he's talking of... Uh, yeah. of uh, it's not quite true, because there is intermarriage a great deal. But he's talking about ethnic communities maintaining their, forgive the phrase, purity, yeah. in a way.
1: Well, yeah. in the expression of these That's deeply felt attitudes, you get a lot of information that comes at you, which I think is fundamentally incorrect. And yeah. uh, when you have these intense feelings, as he does, this Now, do you sense
0: something happening, as in Tom, with the kids, the young kids, of these people, of the various groups... Of the guys who are, feel so violent. Do you feel changes? Yeah. That's you know, so why I, I said these people. It's yeah. very funny. I just, here, I was, I was, I'm editing myself now too. Mm-hmm. I said these people who were removed. Yeah. <laughs> One way or another, we, we're in it. But the, the idea of, uh, do you find younger kids, white kids who have changing? from parents' views today? Yeah,
1: I think uh, in a way, and I don't mean to back out of this issue, I think I find everything. I find change, and I also find the repetition. Psychoanalysis convinced us that personalities were formed by the time a human being was about three and a half or five years old, and we know now that that's preposterous. We also know from the old voting uh, data that people tend to vote in the beginning when they vote exactly as their fathers and their mothers voted, but we also see change. I'll tell you a very good case of this is not so much in the United States, it happened in the United States, but if you look at what's happening, for example, in Argentina and South Africa and England, you see 12, 15, 18-year-old people, the really young people, who are saying, my father and my mother are in a different generation, and I have a whole new legacy, I have a different tradition, I have a, uh, I have a different way that I have to shape out my future, I'm not personally attacking my parents, but I see the world very differently. So I do see, in for example, in the Boston busing thing, you see a lot of children that are saying, my father is absolutely maniacal, maniacal on this busing thing. I don't understand where he gets his views. I don't agree with him. That same child, as we were talking about before, knows very little, ironically, maybe sadly, about his father's life, his yeah. father's experience in the Depression, his father's experience in World War II. All he knows is this ahistorical moment in time, but that's where he picks up. I can't say really that I'm totally, totally uh, comfortable and hopeful because the young people have the attitudes and the older ones don't. I mean, I, uh, here's Henry George Macon in the twilight of his life with the most profound yeah. political sophistication. A lot of 20-year-old people that scare the hell out of me when they talk of fascism or that you, 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 know, you hear some people saying, well, Harvard University is just a prison. It's just another prison. Well, it isn't just another prison. Um, and you ca- or, y- or everybody that's on the wrong side is equated with the Nazis. Well, they're not to be equated with the Nazis. And but then still you have I'd some of the
0: young uh, tossing the rocks too. You have both. You
1: yeah, and you, uh, and you have great wisdom coming out oh. of the young and marvelous sophistication and tremendous attitudes, uh, attitudes that I subscribe to because they're informed. They're, they're impassioned, mm-hmm. but they're also informed. They're enlightened people. For the most part, the, the impression that I get from riding the buses is the same impression that people like Tom Pettigrew and Bob Coles find in the South. After you just let it go and you keep <laughs> the battles down, lo and behold, people become reconciled to it and it becomes less and less intense and it becomes, as the sociologists say, normative. It becomes is that what they normative? Yeah. normative. It becomes regular and daily and, yeah. uh, and
0: it's part of the so-called expectable yeah. aspects of your environment. So we come to the most, to me, the most dramatic, it's all powerful, but the most theatrically dramatic yeah. of the is Nell and Ben Armstrong and here, husband and wife, We started. Well,
1: this is a this is a, a a family that when I first got to know, I would call them the All-American family. In fact, that's why I, I use as a pseudonym for them Armstrong from Jack Armstrong, the All-American Boy. Uh, they seemed to me to be the ideal suburban family. They'd worked their way up from the from Boston, from the city of Boston. They met when they were in grade school and high school. They were the A young couple in love, they got married, he became an accountant. He was more and more successful, more and more successful, with one slight thing which I, in my rather sexist ways, wasn't noticing too much, namely an uncomfortable and unhappy wife. And lo and behold, just mothering and housewifing just wasn't enough for her. She became involved with a very strong pro-busing educational group and I mean, I tell you, Studs, in a matter of a, such a short time, I couldn't believe that this family was unraveling seemingly over the issue of busing. She was for it. She was terribly supportive of busing from the suburbs to the cities, from the cities to the suburbs, within the suburbs, within oh, the Oh, she city. wanted some of the black kids bust to suburbs. Yes, and yeah. she certainly wanted some of the white kids bust into the cities. Yeah he the husband looked upon this ben armstrong looked upon this at the beginning of well it's nice my wife's got some volunteer work then it grew to she's spending yeah. a great deal of time and then it got to knock down drag out affairs and suddenly this family began to unravel each tried to use the kids as allies um she a, a really, son and daughter yeah, two, two and daughters two, and a son two, but they had the oldest yeah. daughter and the middle child a son really in a terrible bind. The boy was in a terrible bind. No matter what side he took, he was, he was being put against one of his parents. The woman, in all her liberal views and decent views, she really abused that boy. She said, I really had hopes for him, but I guess he's incorrigible. He doesn't get interested in busing. I can't understand. It's on the news. Why doesn't he follow? Well, of course, the poor boy was struggling. He, he anticipated the struggles of his Parents, he anticipated the separation, and therefore he couldn't take a side because he saw
0: the family coming yeah. apart. The daughter is with her. The kids away, because yep. the older daughter, the Lord older daughter at college, we was come to very her. Though, something happened to her. Uh, so suddenly, on the side of the angels, you know, uh, that she <coughs> did not, and her husband so scared, uh, in the traditional way, white yes. suburban way. Again, right. not stereotype, but the sky was. Yeah. Hating what's happening. She didn't give an inch to this guy. Nor did he to her. No. So now his, ma- his machismo is involved here too. Oh, he, he saw his whole life falling
1: apart. I mean he saw himself as being married to a nigger lover. Uh, which is what he said mm. to me at one point. And she suddenly saw... Uh, and then this, I mean this is a very crucial issue too which we haven't talked about. Bussing raises the same issue as divorce. Um, for many families because when your parents get divorced it's thrown upon you to reconceptualize your entire life geez maybe the last 15 years it was all a fake maybe they didn't love each other all during the time I was in grade school and high school I've now got to rethink my entire life she rethought her entire life and
0: saw herself as a total failure for just being a bump on a log so several things happen she instead of being quote-unquote just the housewife the all-american young matron in the TV commercials Right. She wanted to b- be part of work, and she was, but she became so involved in this work, became so explosive an issue, that the guy who looked upon her patronizingly, the husband, suddenly realized a rival, and the rival was this political issue, this exactly. issue, a social
1: issue. That's right.
0: And, and lo and behold, if they didn't get a divorce. So all this, you were there, by the way, you're observing the scene, uh, they're both, they're open, but I've never seen such open Oh, they, uh, uh, they had, they had knocked down,
1: out fights in my presence, and it was as if I was invisible.
0: And so it ends with uh, Tim, the kid, is thinking, see, he's talking. Oh, he says his mother, she's grown up more than the rest of us. She educated herself like nobody I've seen. He sees that. And at the end, he says, the father, he couldn't grow up. He still missed the high school big shot. He hasn't changed. This is Tim. Yes. He hasn't changed in 25 years. His friends don't agree with him. He goes out and finds another group of friends who will. Worst of all, he's a bigot. Now, she gets too carried away thinking no one else the right to disagree with her. He hates black people. I never saw that my mother loves them so much, but he hates them. He'd cross the street to avoid them. Now, so, ends Tim. I guess they got what they wanted. This is after the divorce. Otherwise, they wouldn't be where they are now. She's working for busing. He's probably running around looking for girls my age. Isn't life wonderful? She's wrong, you know, if she thinks poor black families are the only ones in this country with problems. Rich white families of problems too. Plenty of them. Maybe what the old Armstrongs can do is bus me and my sisters from my mother to my father one day and then back to my mother the next. Maybe I'll invent a new thing. Busing for family integration. Uh-huh. Hey, wait a minute. Isn't, aren't you, isn't this kid Tim hitting almost the key to everything here? Uh, he's
1: hitting something. Well, I
0: mean, you know, He's hitting so many issues
1: that uh, it sort of breaks your heart. One thing he's obviously alluding to, too, is the sexuality of it. When you start bringing people together and start separating them, there's an erotic quality that's brought up in all people. You bust these people together, and the next minute they're going to school together, and the next minute they're dating each other, and the next minute they're marrying each other, and oh my God, what are you going to end up with? you probably end up with something like Brazil, hopefully without the fascism. Um, He's just touching upon all the issues yeah. there. And, of course, he's deeply, deeply, deeply hurt. He's furious with both his parents. And, and there again, that's the ersatz issue of it. He's saying busing. What has busing got to do with it? It's this rechurning up of yes. all the stuff, all the stuff o- and stuffing mm-hmm. of your life.
0: As though busing became the, um, the, 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 the purge, you mm-hmm. know, the, 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 the uh, milk of magnesia yeah. or something, or yeah. whatever it is that made you throw up. Uh, That or a milk bath, Milk bath. (laughs) the mikvah. (coughs) (laughs) That's funny, though. He's the word family integration. The word integrate here now takes on another connotation. Suddenly you think of the whole society. Yeah, and he's also (coughs) saying we're
1: back to this primitive beginnings. We Mm. and this family have to start all over again.
0: Yeah, And so I'm talking to Tom Cottle, Thomas Cottle. The book is Bussing, and it ends with two boys on the bus, two more boys. You open the very beginning. There's an introduction of different voices. Now we come to two kids, Cassie McDonough and uh, Claudelle Dearborn, both about 11, 12. Yeah, they were 11 at the time. Wait, who's Cassie? Well,
1: Cassie is uh, a very lovely boy who's the son of uh, a white working class family in South Boston. His parents, I would characterize as being opposed to busing, but they're not vitriolic. In Mm. fact, when the violence breaks out, they're incensed, they're hurt, they're ashamed. Uh, But I think they're they're, now there's a very good example we were talking before of a family that was opposed to it. And now that it's going on,
0: I think that, that he's bust to uh, for school for desegregation. is not salient to them at all anymore. Yeah, no. They just accept it. See, the kids have been fighting because he was going to school, not that he wanted to, because he said he's still f- afraid. He said, but they yeah. call me a nigger, love, because I'm going to school. So I punched this guy out, the guy who called him that. They had a fight. But then the thing is, and you got, the, and you got Francine, the mother of, uh, the young black mother of, yeah. uh, of Claudelle, talking about her idea. You got Claudel... And thinking, but you got, she's worried about the buses breaking but down. She's very concerned
1: community. about the, she's a, she's a mother. She's they're a both well, scared. They're, they're very yeah. concerned about the well being of their child. I mean, they, she says at one point it's like sending a, a kid off to war, and the question is, will I see him tonight at 4 o'clock? Um, they're, they, they're, not, uh, they're not actively involved in pro busing or uh, uh, opposed mm-hmm. busing movements, but they're, they're concerned in very human mm-hmm. ways.
0: There's something here, though, that Claudel, the young black kid thing, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of funny anyway he says see over there he points a filling station now, that's where the kids from here are going to meet on school mornings parents drop us off there and they got another group of people going to walk us to the bus and ride with us that's our protection white folks going to do it too makes you think you're a famous person <laughs> when I was a kid my dad took me to this theater somewhere and I, and uh, someone I think it was Martin Luther King came in this man walked near with a whole lot of people walking around and protecting him like now they're doing it to us Makes me scared to get all the protection, but at the same time makes them important. Yeah, it is. It's like the president with his Secret Service men. And we come to uh, Marjorie Milliken again, the anti busing activist. Yeah. When she spoke, oh, she, w- she was the president of the United States. She that became moment. a celebrity. Yeah. So you see, you have something else happening here to people whose lives are seemingly uneventful. In the midst of this issue, hey, people are looking at me.
1: Well, the cause celebre, the so-called yeah. cause celebre, makes celebrities out of yes. people. I would say, apropos of that, just associating to it, it's a tragedy in this country that uh, who, who we produce as celebrities, Oops. that we turn heroes out of the most outrageous, wretched human beings. Elizabeth Taylor gets married for the seventh time, or uh, just, as I wrote recently, this because she's been married seven times as often as I am, it doesn't make her any expert or special, yeah. but outrageous acts make people celebrities. And, Sometimes it's fun for the kids to do it. And, of course, also he's saying there, it's exciting to be the celebrity, but it's also terrifying because yes. he knows that Martin Luther
0: King, yes. with all the protection, yes. was shot. But what is... The, there is a hopeful note here, very much so, toward um, the end of oh the yes, book. Oh, yes, there are. And the two boys, the white kid Cassie and the black kid Claudel, keep diaries, keep, yeah. keep records, don't they? They do. And what what is... Uh, They've been going to school now together for how long?
1: Well, they that's now, what, it's almost uh, two and a half years that they've been going to school. And uh, it is a hopeful thing. I think these two boys reveal it, that uh, life has become far more calm than they ever dreamed it would be. They both have dreams of it, uh, of it working out. And lo and behold, Cassie is, begins to be angry with his old friends who called him... Uh, uh, names for going to school with black, So it is hope.
0: And he says here, we got new books in the school. A lot of these other kids aren't as dumb as everybody said they were. I thought the teachers would be spending all their time helping them instead of us. They need extra help. That's what I heard. They're, they're as smart as us. In fact, two of the girls are smarter than any of us. One of them, this big fat girl, she's smart than anybody, put together. I could really respect her because she's smart. She was the first one of them to speak in class. Know what she said, she said, my name is Janice. And I don't want nobody to call me color. I want everybody to call me black. She wasn't mad. She just said it like she was telling us how she wanted us to call her. So you call them black people. Now, you're saying, this, yeah. well, sure, if it's the way you want. I, I told her to call me Cassie, too. Like kids here call me. You know, you know what they call me? What? Cassie? They tell us. We tell them. It ain't so bad we thought it would be. you still scared? Oh, sure. Nothing. That hasn't changed. Yeah. So now we come to a recognition of the black kids and the white kids. that They can get along, but they're still scared. And the fear is what? The over everything else. Well, I think the fear is partly real, that you might get
1: hit on the head, that the cops might beat you, that your bus might get uh, rocks thrown at it. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the fear is, uh, is what you imagine the fear yeah. will be. Something dreadful will happen. You were, by the way, you were in one of the buses that were stoned, weren't you? Yeah, a lot, I've been a lots of times the yeah. bus that were stoned. Oh, well, you were with with the kids? Yeah, I just get down on the floor with the kids, and I, I'm am t- terrified that that happens. Sure. And they're horrible. that
0: terrified, but this time it's almost part of the. Oh, I think when when yeah. he
1: went when Claudell says yeah. to me, I said, going after this experience, are you gonna come to this, you gonna come here anymore?" And I said, "Geez, I don't know." Are you? He says, "Yeah, I go to school here." Uh, he knows damn well I'm more frightened than he is at that mm-hmm. moment. But here's, here's Cassie,
0: Cassie McDonough, whose parents now more or less... Totally less accepting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and there's a man named Doherty. There's has a man named John Doherty taking his white and black kids to a movie. Oh, yeah. That's the white, that's the white father uh, and his son wanted
1: Claudel to, yeah. to go to the movie and called up just like any parent yeah. would and everything is fine. So
0: something is happening there, yeah. you see. By his own admission, Cassie, this is the white kid, Cassie McDonough, thinks less and less about busing being reminded of it mainly when he hears discussions among people who oppose it. Also, by his own admission, he has stopped using the term color to describe black children. He no longer speaks about us and them. First, think of us and them referring to us students and them teachers. But the feeling of being scared has not wholly subsided. And you've got to end by reading the dream. Perhaps we end the one. Reading Claudel's dream of the school. Well, he had this dream that he told me
1: about and... Um I say certainly the boys are not pessimistic, if not genuinely hopeful, they are at least hoping. Cassie has spoken several times of a wish that his school would be awarded a prize for the best school in Massachusetts. The prize furthermore should indicate that he is the best, his is the best school because black children and white children go there together. And a short time ago, Claudel D- Dearborn dreamed that his school was given award by the President of the United States. In the presentation of the award, the President said that Claudel's school was the best school in the whole world, and that Claudel and his friends were the best students and the bravest students in the world. And Claudel and a white boy whose name he
0: didn't know received the award from his school. As Bill would say, Big Bill, just a dream. Just a dream. I mean, just a dream. And yet, there it is, busing. Thomas J. Cottle, my guest, Tom Cottle, Beacon, the publisher's very moving book. Any uh,
1: postscript? No, I know. Just to thank you for letting me bring these uh, people to your listeners. I think it's the best thing that we can do at this point in terms of writing is just to let other people hear the music of this country and, uh, and not to m- really believe that we know what other human beings are thinking and feeling. Blessing Thomas J. Connell, Beacon, available. Thank you very much. Thank you.